Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 28 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. And this is the fourth installment of the From a Fan's Perspective segment, where I sit down with fans of both the college and pro game, and we take a look at the NFL draft as it relates to their favorite teams. This week, I sit down with Brian Shaw, a Clemson graduate, and we talk Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and the rest of the prospects, as well as a look ahead to the future, what it holds for the Clemson Tigers into 2021 and beyond. We're back for another edition of From a Fan's Perspective here on the Ready for Their Draft podcast. My guest today, Brian Shaw, a Clemson graduate. He's gotten to see some of the best times there under Dabo Sweeney. Thanks for having us, Brian. No, it's great to be here. Always been listening to your podcast, so it's fun to be on. So talk about your time at Clemson. When were you there at Clemson? I understand it was during you know the, the initial stages there with Dabo Sweeney and kind of watching the development of this Clemson football team into the power that it is today. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, enrolled at Clemson at 2009, which was uh, Dabo Sweeney's first year at Clemson. Um, my introduction to Clemson football was a uh, C.J. Spiller kickoff return touchdown against Middle Tennessee State, uh, which was exciting, and that kind of got me hooked on Clemson football ever since. Set the tone. Yep, I know, absolutely. And um, Clemson, you know, when I went there, was a regional power. Uh, fans thought they were, you know, on par with the Blue Bloods of college football, but that was kind of limited to Pickens County, South Carolina. And since then they've gone from eight and four and Clemsoning to seemingly being in the top four every year. So it's been an exciting run. And hopefully with DJ Uyagalale and Dabo at the helm that it'll just continue in the, for the foreseeable future. So you, you talk, you mentioned DJ and obviously we got to see what, what Uyagalale was able to do um, when, when Trevor Lawrence went down to, to COVID. Um, so you've gotten to really sit back and enjoy some pretty good quarterback play overall, um, you know, from Taj Boyd handing things off to uh, Deshaun Watson and then the emergence of, of Trevor Lawrence. Talk about, you know, th those are three guys that have, you know, different skill sets. Um, talk about kind of that evolution there at Clemson from a guy like Taj Boyd to what you had now with, with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. Taj Boyd was just an excellent facilitator. You know, he was with that new Chad Morris offense, and he was just really good at getting the ball to his weapons. He had Andre Ellington. He had all those, you know, ridiculous receivers, Sammy Watkins, uh, New Hopkins, Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys, all NFL guys. And he was just a product of that incredible system and just really good at getting the ball out. And uh, from there to the Sean Watson, you know, it still astounds me that Cole Stout was able to win that job in the summer um, because I remember that first game at Athens, Deshaun Watson comes in cold off the bench, just throws a strike up the middle. I forget if it was a tight end running a seam or a skinny post, but just unbelievable. And uh, his ability to just um, go out there and just sling it, run it, do whatever he had to do to win was, was absolutely incredible to watch, culminating with that national championship uh, victory against Alabama. And then just to go from Deshaun to Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, I grew up, I was a UCLA fan, unfortunately, but watching, you know, Carson Palmer, Matt Barkley, Sanchez, Booty, uh, Darnold, all those guys, um, you know, I was in the Coliseum when Aaron Rodgers went 23 for 23 against SC, and I think his yep. 24th incompletion was throwing it out of bounds. So I've seen all those quarterbacks, and Trevor Lawrence is just on a completely uh, different level. I mean, Deshaun had to, you know, scrape and claw to get that national title against Alabama, 
And then Trevor Lawrence's freshman year, I was actually at Kyle Field in AM when he threw up that 50-50 ball to T. Higgins to kind of set the tone in front of 110,000. And then he goes on to beat at Bama by 44 to 16. And, you know, I looked it up yesterday and who was on that Bama team. It was Tua, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts. They had Jalen Waddell. They had uh, Josh Jacobs, you know, all, all those guys. And it, just to have him just dominate like that. I've never seen a quarterback um, like him in college. So it, it's been fun to watch. And, you know, we kind of got a, a sprinkle of DJ last year at, at Notre Dame. And, you know, I think he was number two passing yards ever in, in South Bend. So we're, we're excited for what we have coming back. Yeah, DJ's, DJ's a, f- a freak. I think, what, 6'5", 240, 250 pounds. Uh, what, what's interesting, you know, Trevor Lawrence actually showed up at, at his pro day, uh, and a lot of people were actually surprised. He, he shows up at, at 6'5", and 5'8", so the height, uh, a lot of times teams will, will kind of lie about their, you know, they'll kind of stretch the truth in terms of their measurables. Came in actually uh, a little under, uh, underweight. He, he showed in at about 213, but, again, looked really sharp. I think that's one of the things, the, the theme of all of these quarterbacks in their pro days is that they all look really sharp uh, throwing the football. Trevor Lawrence, there's no secret that he can push the football down the field. Um, you know, but I think what's really impressive about him and why I think he's drawing some of those comparisons to uh, Andrew Luck is that athleticism. He makes it look easy with his ability to escape the pocket when he's off platform, keeping those eyes down the field, fighting those receivers, but then taking off and running with the football. I think that's an element that for him, you know, yes, you have Justin Fields running a 4-4, you know, 4-4-4 at, at, at his pro day. Um, you have some other quarterbacks with insane athleticism. But let's not discount what, what Trevor Lawrence is able to do. Those long strides, you know, he eats up a lot of yards in a short period of time. It reminds me a lot of Marcus Mariota with his ability to be able to do that in, in such a, you know, he, that acceleration. He, he just looks like he's moving so effortlessly, though. Um, talk a little bit about the, the athleticism that you see from Trevor Lawrence. Cause I don't think, I think it's kind of getting understated a little bit and kind of lost with the way that tr- maybe Trey Lance or Justin Fields has done to this point. Yeah. People forget about his running ability, but I mean, third and three, when you got to get it, he's willing to lower his shoulder and run over a linebacker. He's big enough where he, he can get away with it. But I think people also forget is in that Fiesta Bowl against Ohio state two years ago when Clemson was down, I think 16 to three, he ran away from the entire Ohio State defense. And there was NFL talent all over the place. And I think he even made a move on the safety um, that got him on his knees. So I think people forget that, that he's about as, he's really, really fast and he's deceptively fast. So safety's trying to get an angle on him, just seemingly can't do it. So I think people forget about that too. And I, I keep hearing the comparisons to Andrew Luck, but it's funny, although I'm a, I've always been a big college football fan, Andrew Luck was in college the same time I was. And so it was kind of, I didn't get to see a lot of Andrew Luck in college because I was always at the Clemson games you know, that's, that was always an all day affair. Um, but I see a lot of Peyton Manning and Trevor Lawrence. And I know that that's extremely high praise, but even just the way they, they, they handle themselves, the mannerisms, the way they throw the ball. Uh, I think he's Peyton Manning with speed. And, and I, I'm willing to go on the record and say that, I mean, he's just absolutely phenomenal. And I, I think you're exactly right that his ability to run is just going to make him as dynamic as a quarterback as, as the NFL has seen. So there, there are a lot of people in the draft community, especially if you, if you show up on, on Twitter, uh, that want to try to chip away at, at Trevor Lawrence, trying to find those chinks in the armor that, hey, he's not really the, gener- uh, the generational talent that everyone's trying to make him out to be. Uh, he's not Andrew Luck because he, he doesn't see the field like Andrew Luck does. That, you know, this is an offense where he didn't have to, 
go through progressions the way that a lot of other quarterbacks might have had to do, like Justin Fields having to go from one side of the field to the other. Uh, Trey Lance may have to do some of that. Zach Wilson as well. And Trevor Lawrence, hey, see it, grip it, rip it. You know, and it was a product of, of some of the system more so than Trevor Lawrence really dissecting defenses. As a, as a Clemson fan, getting to see this guy from day one when he showed up on campus to, the, you know, to now where he's you know, the, the, going to be the number one overall pick, what would you say to those naysayers that are trying to say that, hey, Trevor Lawrence is not the guy that everyone's making him out to be as this generational talent because I don't know that he can really see the field and that he can really go through those progressions like some of these other quarterbacks might be able to. Yeah, and I think you have to point him back to his freshman year against Alabama. I mean, NFL talent all over the place. Clemson's never had an elite offensive line. I mean, he, he was, yes, he was slinging it, but he had to, you know, read his progressions, go through everything and, and be able to read that defense because, you know, in, in the biggest games he's shown up, but I know they got their doors blown off against Ohio state this year, but I, I don't really think that was his fault necessarily. Um, but I, I think he's always had the ability um, to, to get it to where he needs to be. And I think if you just look at the, uh, the measurables he has, um, he's, he's about as good as it gets. I mean, you, you couldn't, think up of a better quarterback prospect in the NFL. And I think that he's, he's certainly a student of the game. You know, he's always in the film room. Dabo has nothing but good things to say about him. He's a low key guy. So to the extent that he has to learn how to read defenses, I don't think he's going to have any issue with that. And we've seen it for the last three years. Um, and I, I think it just comes down to a comfort factor, even with Deshaun Watson, you know, you felt comfortable with him at the ball. He was going to get you down the field, score a touchdown but with Trevor Lawrence. There was never any doubt. You know, you needed a touchdown, you needed a field goal, two-minute drill, anything. He was going to get it done. And I think he's just going to continue to do that in the NFL. You know, and you mentioned Watson. And I think one of the things that had me a little hesitant about Deshaun Watson for, for a time was the fact that Deshaun, there were some of those lapses in judgment. He had some of those, those intercepts. He'd throw a ball and you're just wondering what happened there. There were, there were those interceptions. And we racked up quite a few th during his career that you just – it gave you enough pause to say, is this the guy that should come off the board in the top half of round number one? You don't really see that out, out of Trevor Lawrence. Yes, you may – there may be a throw or two where eh, he probably wants to have that back because maybe a corner sitting on a route, baiting him into making a throw – but, you know, more often than not, that's usually because this was a guy that was under pressure, uh, seeing some of that, you know, having to get rid of the ball probably more, you know, before he wanted to. And, you know, I think that was more of a product of, of, of the circumstance, more so than him not really being able to read the field. Um, you know, talk about some of that decision making there with with uh, with Trevor Lawrence, because, you know, I, I think that's one of the things for me that sets him apart between him and, and Deshaun Watson. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Deshaun kind of had more trust in his receivers than maybe Trevor had. I mean, they, they call them 80-20 balls at Clemson. When you, have the, when you have the receivers that Clemson has, they just throw it up there. And you have guys like Mike Williams, T. Higgins, um, Deion Kane, Justin Ross, they'll just go up and get it. And I think a lot of times there were just times where they just, they just didn't do it. And Deshaun had just too much trust in him. And that was kind of exposed um, against the elite corners, you know, in the playoff and some of those, um, some of those Florida State teams. But Trevor Lawrence, you know, you don't have that. He's able to put the ball in a place where only his receiver can get it. Um, he wasn't as spoiled this year as I think Deshaun was. I mean, Cornell Powell, Amari Rogers, DeAndre Overton, um, those guys are good, but they're not, you know, the typical wide receiver talent that Clemson's been used to, especially with Ngata, Ladson, and Justin Ross on the sidelines this year. So I think he really 
threw less of those um, 80-20 balls, and he was really focused on uh, making sure he didn't make mistakes because a lot of these games, Clemson was, you know, had overwhelming uh, talent over their opponents. So he just needed to be not make mistakes, and he didn't have to take the risks that Deshaun had to take. I mean, you bring up a great point with the with that receiver with the receivers there because yes, you know, since you've been you know been uh, at Clemson, you've had quite a few uh, receivers that came through. You know, with New Hopkins, with Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant. I mean, shoot, you know, with, between you know Boyd and and uh, and Watson, they had some really nice guys. You know, some nice talent that came through there. Mike Williams as well. He was a 2017 first round pick. You know, you have first round guys. And really with Trevor Lawrence, when he started in 2018, you look at the list of receivers, while it is impressive, you know, at the same time, you got Deion Kane uh, and Ray Ray McLeod, who came on, you know, through the, the 2018 draft. 2019, it was uh, Hunter Renfro, uh, T. Higgins in the, uh, th- this past season. You know, T. Higgins thought at one point to be a, a first-round pick, wound up, wound up coming, you know, falling to, to round two, Bengals. Um, ultimately are happy enough with him that they let AJ Green go. I think the Bengals will probably, you know, a lot of talk about Panay Sewell. I think really, you know, Burrow, reuniting Burrow with Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. that's got to be tempting for the Bengals. But, you know, when you look at the level of talent that, that Trevor Lawrence had at the receiver position, I think he really elevated his receiver play more than anything else. And that's really the thing I think that's going to be key with, with DJ too is he's got some young receivers still. You mentioned Ladson, you mentioned Ngata, EJ Williams, you know, Justin Russell kind of be the veteran of the group, even though he hasn't seen a lot of time due to injury. Um, can he do that same thing? Can he elevate the play of his receivers uh, the way that Trevor Lawrence has? I think that's really going to be something that can't be understated there for Urban Meyer. He's got guys like DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. They're at the receiver position right now. I really think that Trevor Lawrence is the type of quarterback that can elevate that receiver play. Um, you know, I, I think DJ Chark finally hit, hit, hit his thousand yard uh, receiving mark uh, this past season, but he's one of those guys that really is kind of underachieved to this point. Um, talk a little bit about, about that. Is that, do you also see that as well in terms of Trevor Lawrence elevating the play of, of some of his receivers? Absolutely. I, I think the biggest difference between Trevor Lawrence and someone like Taj Boyd is that when receivers run their routes, they know that Trevor Lawrence can get them the ball anywhere on the field. So, you know, you have a rollout to the left and you have a guy, you know, on the boundary side of the field, the opposite side of the field. He knows Trevor Lawrence can get him the ball 60 yards downfield. And I think that makes a difference too, where, you know, every receiver had to be ready. And I think, I think in Taj Boyd's system, which also something to point out is New Hopkins was actually the second option of that system. Sammy Watkins was the primary receiver. I know that New Hopkins kind of um, since then has, has, voices frustrations about that and probably rightfully so but I think the difference with Trevor Lawrence is that these receivers know they can get the ball at any time and I think that makes a difference when you're running your routes that you could turn around and that ball could be there at, at any second so I think that makes a difference and I think it's just fun for them to play with the guy that they know is a generational talent you know they want to be able to play with the best quarterback and, and that's what they're going to do and and I think that's uh it's interesting too to see Bo Collins coming out from uh, Bosco to play with DJ um you know probably a receiver that usually probably ends up at SC um, for him to come out and play with DJ, I think that says a lot about the kind of quarterback that DJ is, where he's willing to come across the country too and play with him. But I think you're exactly right. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was able to raise the all of the wide receivers um, because you know they see it every day in practice. They work with the best every day in practice, and they know they can get the ball at anywhere on the field. And I think that makes a difference. And I, I think the other part with with Trevor Lawrence that makes him so special is also what he does off the field. 
you know, this guy is a guy that you know is going to rally as a leader. He's going to be the unquestioned leader of this team and the face of the franchise. But what he did, you know, with, with Black Lives Matter and with, you know, wanting to play, get everyone out onto the field, that the hashtag, you know, let us play. Um, you know, he did so much this past offseason and really since he arrived at Clemson, but really, you know, taking on that, that responsibility and elevating that as well. And really, you know, being at the forefront, he and Justin Fields, you really have to take their hat off to both of those guys for what they did off the field. So not only are you getting a great football player, but Urban Meyer knows that he's getting one of the highest character guys uh, that you can in this entire draft. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, he led the, it probably wouldn't have been a college football season without Trevor Lawrence leading the way on Twitter. It seemed like it was really going the wrong direction for a long time. And then during the BLM movement, he actually, uh, him and Darian Rencher, who's also another great guy at Clemson running back who won the Disney award. Um, yeah. They read the BLM uh, March at, on Clemson's campus, um, which, you know, Trevor Lawrence, like you said, you know, he's been the face of college football seemingly for three years. And for him to do that was a big deal. He's also extremely active in his church. Um, and I think kind of the best example is he actually recently turned down an invitation to, you know, to go be in the NFL draft because he just wants to be with his friends and family um, in Clemson. And, and you know, the, the spotlight's never gotten him. He's not a, a me guy. He's really all about the team. And I think that goes a long way. And I think that he's going to be the face of the franchise, of the Jags, I mean, assuming he goes there for, for a very, very long time. And you don't have to worry about him off the field. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting. The What's going to be interesting, too, is is the guy that's likely protecting his blind side is going to be Cam Robinson from those Alabama teams that he went up against. Um, I think the Jags probably will be looking to, to add another offensive lineman in the draft. So there, there's a possibility that he may be reunited with Jackson Carmen, although I think that'll probably be sometime on day three. We'll talk about Carmen here in just a little bit. Um, but I kind of want to transition just, just uh, for a second from Trevor Lawrence and, and, and we could spend all of our time talking about Trevor Lawrence if, if we wanted to because of, of just the type of player and the type of person that he is. Um, but I, I wanted to get to Travis Etienne and, and Travis, this is a guy I feel like he's been there for the better part of a decade. I had to sit there and go back and look and say, all right, this guy, uh, you know, he's only been there for four years. Uh, you know, feels like he's been there forever. But when you look at this guy, just under 5,000 yards on the ground, um, you know, and 70 touchdowns, and then also over a uh, thousand yards as a receiver, 102 receptions, 11.3 yards per reception as a receiver. This is a guy to me, he, he, he was always a, the, the speed was always there. And that's really what he showed up, you know, at Clemson, but he was more of a guy that, okay, He's going to be the guy that's going to be your game breaker and your speed guy. But going down to first contact, that happened time and time again throughout his first year and really into his second year. As a junior and then into the senior year, you really saw that transformation. It started sophomore season, but really you got to see the fruits of those labors, the labor in June. Uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, in his junior and senior years. And that's really where I, I think he became a more complete back. Suddenly those arm tackles, now he, he can run with power between the tackles to complement that speed. Talk about that evolution there uh, with Tra uh, Travis Etienne, watching him from a, uh, you know, that speed back into a more complete running back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a three-star guy out of Jennings, Louisiana. I know LSU didn't offer him, and they offered him late, and Clemson was the first to offer him, so he ended up going there. But I remember, I think it was freshman or soft, his freshman or sophomore year against that Syracuse game, he catches a toss and he's about even 
uh, with a linebacker, you know, everyone on the Clemson sideline already has their hands up because they know exactly what's going to happen. He was just a straight line, you know, four, four guy. He just ran away from everybody and he was able to do that, but you're exactly right. It seemed like he would get tripped up by arm tackles freshman, sophomore year. And he had some real issues with that, but the right speed was always there. And he also came back senior year to really work on his pass catching. And I think that was really important for him this year. Uh, not to mention that last year's uh, back class, which is absolutely loaded. But I think you're right. You know, he's he's 5'10". He's a little smaller. I, I don't really see him as a workforce. You know, he's not a Cam Akers. He's not a Jonathan Taylor. Um, so I think that's concerning for me. And I know he came back this year to work on a lot of things. But you look at the Notre Dame game in South Bend, you know, 18 carries, 28 yards. You look at the Ohio State game in the semifinals, um, 10 carries, 32 yards. And I understand Clemson doesn't have a world-beating line. But I mean, those numbers do concern you where he's not the kind of guy that can go out there and just dominate even at the collegiate level. And I think it's, it would be concerning for me as an NFL franchise to take a, a runner on him in the first round because he's not Najee Harris. You know, he's not a guy that can come in and immediately, you know, just dominate the game. So, you know, I, I see him, a lot of him going the back end of the first round, maybe early part of the second round, but there, there are concerns there with his running ability. But I think he was able to develop a lot as a pass catcher um, this year. And he's, he's certainly gotten better and stronger and at, at evading tackles. And like you said, his lower body, I mean, he, he's got tree trunks down there. So he can run through people. But to have a first round pick, I, I, I don't quite see it. He's, he's one of those guys, you know, the, the weight room became his friend. It, it seemed like it was a you know, workout warrior, if you will, uh, working on that lower body, getting a lot stronger. And I think the one thing that I, I do appreciate about a guy like, like, like Travis Etienne is, you know, he did put in that work. He wanted to always continue to get better, to be a more complete running back. Uh, shows up at his pro day at 5'10 and 215. Now, his play weight was about 205, so he's about 10 pounds heavier Still runs a 4-4-1. Had he been at his play weight, you're talking about sub 4-4 speed. And so I'm I'm with you know, I'm with you there in terms of you know a guy that can't necessarily create on his own. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people will fall in love with is the dynamic speed. And they see, all right, this guy has sub 4-4 speed. I'm gonna fall in love with it. But it's like Chuba Hubbard there for Oklahoma State. I talked to uh to an Oklahoma State fan uh, a few episodes ago and the Oklahoma State community, they love this guy to the point to where they're talking about him. He should be a first or second round pick. The problem with Chuba Hubbard is just like Travis Etienne is he needs that crease. He needs something in order for him to really get going. He's not going to be able to generate it there at the line of scrimmage. Once you get him out into the open field, he's dynamic. He has the lateral agility to, to be able to, uh, to make you miss in the open field, but he's not going to be able to uh, grind things out for those two, three, four yards per carry. Uh, the other thing um, that I think for, for Travis Etienne, where I think he struggles is in pass protection. There were a couple of plays. I, I think there was one in, in the Notre Dame game and a couple of others where he just kind of threw himself at, at these, uh, these linebackers and these defensive ends. And they essentially were throwing him aside. It was like, he was almost getting in the way and really wasn't coming in, being able to get under their pad level and really show showcase that, that ability as a blocker. Najee Harris, on the other hand, this is a guy that's coming across the formation, picking up blitzes, understanding exactly what he sees in front of him. I think that's the other thing that's going to hurt Travis Etienne, you know, as he transitions to the next level is you can start poking holes in really, you know, what, uh, what he's able to bring to a franchise. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. He, he did have issues with, with pass protection last year. And that's kind of been a common theme throughout his uh, his career at Clemson. But I, I love the guy. I mean, he was two-time ACC Player of the Year, 
He's about as fast as you could ever hope for. He's evasive. Um, he's gotten a lot stronger. Um, I mean, he, he, he was great for Clemson, but he did struggle sometimes in those big games against really dominant defensive lines. And so that's the only thing that gives me pause in terms of going into this draft. So let me ask you this, because there are some teams that, that need a running back. And, you know, I'm looking at you, Miami. I'm looking at you, uh, New York, the Jets, and, and obviously the Steelers. I think those are three teams that definitely need running back help. I, I don't see the Dolphins taking a – really the Dolphins or the Jets taking a running back in round one. I think they – you know, Dolphins need an edge rusher. Um, and uh, the, really, so do the Jets. The Jets are converting from a 3-4 to a 4-3 under Robert Sala. So they need some guys. You know, I've got Jalen Phillips going to the Jets there at, at 23. And then I, I think Najee Harris is probably going to, to the Steelers at 24. But the outside chance of, of Travis Etienne coming off the board in round one, a team like Tampa. Now, Tampa's returning everybody. How they were able to accomplish this, I guess that's probably the Tom Brady effect more than anything else. Bringing all these guys back, I didn't think not, uh, Ndamukong Sue was going to come back. He's back. I didn't think you know Leonard Fournette was going to come back. He's back. But I, So I really think their draft can be a little bit in terms of luxury, and I, I think you know they are going to need to address their offensive line. I think you're probably going to see some guys there. I think pass rush is going to be another consideration, but I look at Travis Etienne. They've got a backfield right now, um, you know, with, with Ronald Jones, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn's there right now as well. Um, and then, you know, obviously Fournette's their, their home run hitter. What do you think of Tampa looking at him? You can kind of, you know, you can put him in the slot, move him around a little bit, be kind of one of those dynamic players out there on, you know, allow him to play in space, really want a, a, more of a luxury pick than anything else. Um, you know, I think Atlanta's another team, you know, that that's in desperate need of a running back 49ers as well. So if they fall to day two, those are some teams. What do you think about Tampa potentially, you know, end of round one, taking a guy like Travis? See, I think that'd be a great spot for him. You know, when I say he's not a workhorse back, I just don't see him going behind the Jets offensive line, taking 30 carries and dominating. But I mean, I think you get Travis Etienne in the right system with, you know, open field, you have Tom Brady, you have Mike Evans there, you have, you know, creases everywhere. I think you get him on the right team in the right space. And I think he has the potential to dominate. So I think that would be a, you know, like a Clyde Edwards Lair ending up with the Chiefs where, you know, he doesn't have to do too much. He just has to, you know, take the ball 12, 15 times. And I think he would have a really great opportunity there to uh, have some big games for Tampa. So I think that would be a great spot for him. But, you know, it just makes me nervous where he ends up on a team without a, you know, a dominant offense. And I, I just don't think he's a guy that you can turn to like a Saquon Barkley and you can just hand him the ball 30 times and he can get you 130 yards and two touchdowns. But I think if he ends up in the split in a place like Tampa, move him around, put him in the slot out of the backfield, you know, give him 10 to 12 carries. I think he could be, he can make that team better. And I think that would be a perfect landing spot for him. So he would be the first running back taken in round number one since CJ uh, CJ Spiller back in 2010 with number nine overall to the bills. Um, different, different type of back CJ Spiller than, than Travis Etienne. Um, for those that didn't get a chance to really watch CJ, especially, at, you know, during his time at Clemson, what's kind of the difference between the two? Yeah. CJ was the most dynamic back outside of Reggie Bush that I've ever seen. I mean, there's a clip against Georgia tech at his freshman year where he fakes to the outside, senior linebacker from GT goes down, fakes to the inside, another senior linebacker from Georgia Tech goes down, and he just runs straight for the end zone. And I think that he was just the most elusive dynamic back that I've ever seen in person outside of Reggie Bush. Um, 
and you don't really see that with Travis Etienne. I think the biggest difference is kind of where CJ Spiller, I mean, one year he had five kickoff returns for touchdowns and you just don't see that with Travis Etienne. So I think Spiller, you know, he didn't go down on first contact. Um, he was probably a little bit quicker than Travis Etienne. He and Jacoby Ford were on the four by one team at Clemson. So I think CJ was is probably- it the, Is it the suddenness, the, the suddenness with him, with the, the ability to make you miss? Absolutely. CJ Spiller, you know, could come to a complete stop on the outside and be at full speed in two steps. And I think Travis Etienne just doesn't quite have that. And, uh, you know, CJ Spiller utilized the jump, the jump stop a little more to change direction. And Travis Etienne's really, you know, a one cut back. You know, he hits that seam and he goes. And I understand he's had, you know, some, some impressive spin moves. But CJ Spiller, every time he touched the ball, people just held their breath because they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, he made four, five, six moves, make three or four people miss. And I just don't think you quite see that with Travis Etienne. Um, but CJ Spiller was, you know, probably the best back to ever come through Clemson. So I don't know if it's really fair to compare Etienne to him. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, CJ, just his elusiveness was just off the charts. So being a, a guy of the ACC, there, there are two running backs there at UNC in, in Michael Carter and, uh, and Javante Williams. And we talk about guys that can be that workhorse. I'm looking at Javante Williams as a guy that, you know, outside chance at the first round, probably not, but like a team like Atlanta is a team you're talking about what ETN is not. I see, you know, Javante Williams as, as that guy who can catch the football out of the backfield, can run with power, run with speed and be a guy that, Hey, if I need 25, 30 carries, Javante Williams might be that guy to be able to do that. And I know we're talking Clemson, but did you get a chance to see much of, of those two running backs there at, at UNC? Not a lot. They're out there in the coastal. So Clemson played them in the ACC championship game, I think two years ago. So that would have been maybe three years ago. That would have been my only exposure to UNC's running backs. But, you know, I, I've heard nothing but, but good things about both of them. I just think both of them are probably top five backs in this draft, although it seems to be kind of not as deep as a draft as, as last year. But uh, UNC is, you know, they have a sneaky history of putting uh, running backs in the league too. So, and Mac Jones certainly knows what he's doing. So I think you're right. I think they probably have more workforce potential than an ETN, but I don't know enough about them. Okay. So we, we've, we've talked about the quarterback and the running back. So now we've, we've got to transition to the receiver position. And honestly, looking at these receivers, you sit down and you start writing it out. Clemson has really kind of turned into wide receiver you over the last, you know, 10 years, just about, you know, you look at, you know, New Hopkins with a second round pick in 2013, largely due to that, that 40 time, I, I think more than anything else, he and Michael Thomas, two guys that ran in those four five, four, six range. And, and I think that really drove their stock down. It reminds me of when, when Anquan Bolden came out, he was a guy that was tabbed as a potential first rounder. He runs like a four seven at the combine and that ultimately dropped him all the way down to the third round. And so I, I think some of that speed uh, hurt him, but we know what new Hopkins is. I mean, we saw the Hale Murray there for, for Arizona uh, in the end zone to win it. Um, so we know what the type of player that nuke is Sammy Watkins, the speed merchant out on the outside battled some injuries at the NFL. So not, not as much of the, uh, explosive career that he had at Clemson. Martavis Bryant had a couple of decent years. Mike Williams, another guy battling, you know, some injuries, that neck injury that he had um, there. He, he's, uh, you know, a big physical wide out there for, for the Chargers. Nice complimentary receiver to, to Keenan Allen. Um, and then you get into 
the, the last couple of years. Deion Kane, a nice complimentary receiver. Hunter Renfro, kind of the guy that flew under everyone's radar. Nice possession receiver. Nice get there for Mike Mayock. And then T. Higgins. T. Higgins, a guy who I think, you know, you're talking about the 80-20 the balls. That was a guy that you could just put the ball up anywhere around him. That, 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 uh, that catch radius, if you will. This was a guy that you knew was going to come down with the football. So you, you've had that luxury of having a lot of these, these receivers. What's interesting is, is Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell, they don't really fit that bill too much in terms of these guys. They're, they're really different types of receivers. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about, about that this year. Cause you're really, I think a lot of the younger guys, you're trying to find who's the next Sammy Watkins or who's the next Mike Williams. Who's, who's going to replace T Higgins. And a lot of those, I think there's a lot of pressure, undue pressure really on, on the Ladsons and the Angadas and the EJ Williams to perform. You had Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell who were really the guys that helped really you know, they were the guys that, that helped tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence really move that, that passing game forward. Talk about those two guys as, as receivers a little bit. Yeah, starting with Cornell Powell, I think he's going to be a steal in this draft. People forget he was the number four receiver coming out of high school. He was just buried behind Mike Williams and Deion Kane at the depth chart when he got there. Because you remember Mike Williams hurt his neck his junior year and ended up coming back for, for a fourth year. And then as soon as uh, Williams and Deion Kane went on, Dabba went out and recruited T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And before Justin Ross's neck injury, you know, I thought he was going to probably be the best of all of them, including Nuke and Sammy. I mean, what he did in that college football playoff two years ago was where he just absolutely dominated Notre Dame, absolutely dominated Alabama. It was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. But, you know, Cornell Powell, six foot, 204. He, he ran a four five, um, which isn't great. But, I mean, you look at the Notre Dame game, he, you know, six catches, 161 yards and a touchdown um, with first time playing or second time playing with DJ. And he has, you know, great hands. I don't know what they do down in Clemson. I don't know what's in the water with those jugs, but it seems like every receiver coming out of Clemson has great hands. I mean, New Hopkins is known for, you know, not dropping a ball in the NFL. Renfro probably has even better hands than he does. Um, so I think Cornell Powell, you know, you're going to get just a, he's just above average everywhere. You know, he's above average hands. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty smooth route runner. Um, I think a team is going to be really happy with what they get, you know, late, late in the draft. Um, and I think that he can come in. And, and really help somebody out. And uh, Amari Rogers, you know, he's, he's a weird size. He's about 5'9", but he, he's built like a truck. He's 212 pounds, another 4'5 guy. Um, but he's just about as professional as, as Clemson has, has had at receiver. And I remember at the Senior Bowl, he was really turning heads in practice. Uh, he's another guy that just doesn't drop the ball. And you want to talk about a guy that doesn't go down on first contact. I mean, there were times, you know, very early in games where corners, you know, diving at his legs and you wouldn't even phase him. He would just run right through it. So I think he's going to be a guy. I think he's a, a poor man's Kadarius Tony. And I think that people are going to get a real uh, steal late in the draft with him too, because he's just kind of in between a receiver and a running back there. So it'll be curious to see um, what NFL teams end up doing with him. But I, I really like Amari Rogers. I think he's going to have um, a great pro career. I don't think he's going to be a world beater by any means, but I think he's just going to be a guy that just puts his head down, uh, goes about his business, and he's not going to drop the ball. It, it, I, I'm glad you said that about about uh, Rodgers and, and Tony because that that's kind of the what I also see as well. Because Tony, the 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 thing with Tony that was so interesting there at, at Florida was he was kind of the gadget guy, a guy that you know you gadget player really developed himself into more of a dynamic receiver, a guy that I think 
you know, has a great chance to come off the board in round one. I think, you know, the, the Bears at, at 20, even though Allen Robinson's coming back, I think they could use uh, a, a, an explosive receiver. Tony can be that. The Tennessee Titans, they lost, uh, you know, Corey Davis and, and Adam Humphreys. And, uh, you know, they've got A.J. Brown there. They really haven't added too much. They added Josh Reynolds, but, he, you know, he's more of a bigger bat or bigger receiver. So I, I see Tony there, um, you know, and that explosiveness. But Rodgers can do a lot of things. You know, that 5'9", 210, once he has that ball in his hands, this is a guy, he, he's difficult to bring down, and he has that running back mentality. And, yeah, I could see teams lining him up in the backfield, running different packages for him. Um, here's one of the, the – of the the receivers there for Clemson, I, I kind of look at Amari, Amari Rogers and I'm looking at the Jaguars uh, receiving core. And, you know, I already mentioned DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. They picked up Marvin Jones in free agency as well. Um, and then Philip Dorsett, you know, the speedster on the outside. But, you know, Colin Johnson, a big, big receiver. But looking at who could potentially be a, a weapon in the slot, I'm looking at Amari Rodgers. You've got James Robinson in the backfield as well. Nobody really behind him. You carve out a, a niche there for, for Amari Rodgers, probably in that round five, round six range. Could you see him, you know, a, a team like Jacksonville, somebody that needs that, 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 that slot presence. Um, would that make some sense? I think absolutely. I think you can just plug him there. And I think it'll be nice comfort factor for Trevor Lawrence off the field. You know, it's always nice to have people around you. Um, that, that you went to college with. So I think, I think that would be huge as well. But I do, I think you put him in the slot and he's just going to go about his business. He's not going to drop any balls. You know, I, I, I think he's going to have a little bit more of a challenge in the NFL getting the space he did in college. But I think you're right. You line him up in the backfield, throw it to him in the flat, and he's either going to run away from a linebacker or he's going to run through a corner. So I think he could be a valuable weapon for a team like the Jags. Um, just, just put him in there and he's going to be a guy you can just plug and play. He's going he's gonna to be ready day one and he certainly has the body for, you know, the new 17-game season, too. Yeah, absolutely. Have to have to be mindful of that as well. Uh, now, Corn Cornell Powell, you know, obviously we, we talked about him biding his time behind the likes of Mike Williams and T. Higgins and, and Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod, um, to name a few. But he was dynamic for Trevor Lawrence in 2020. You mentioned the game against Notre Dame and, you know, four games with you know, over 100 yards, three of those where he averaged 20 yards per reception. And then, you know, this was a guy who had a nose for the end zone, scoring a touchdown in, in six of the, of the Tigers' final eight games. So a guy that, you know, let me ask you this, is he, because he has that four or five speed, what is, is it a product of the system for him that, that he's able to get open? Is he one of those guys that is more of a, has that long speed, not as, not as sudden with that, with that acceleration, but a guy that, that is, is able to get over the top? Is it the route running? What is it with Cornell Powell that makes him uh, that dynamic playmaker? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't think he's, he's quick necessarily, but I think he does have those long strides where you know, he's able to get by a corner and, and, and he's gone. And I think he really, uh, it was advantageous for him to play with a guy like Trevor Lawrence who could really get him the ball where, uh, like I said, Cornell Powell has great hands. So Trevor Lawrence, you know, get him the ball in tight windows and he was going to come down with it. And you're right. He, he did have a nose for the end zone. He, the Notre Dame game, he was, he was really Trevor or DJ's guy, you know, six for 161 yards and a touchdown. I think uh, without Powell, they probably lose that game in regulation. Um, and, and again, he's, he's a smooth route runner. I, I just haven't seen enough from him. He was great this year, 
But I mean, like you said, it was just hard to get, he was hard for him to get on the field for, you know, the first four years of his career. And, you know, he's a, he's a fifth year senior guy. So he's been in, in, at Clemson for, you know, five years and he, he's, he's great for the system. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, at six foot two Oh four, four, five, three, um, you know, I, I'm just not sure what they're going to get with out of him in the NFL, but I think he could, he could be a guy that surprises you too. You know, he has great hands. He can get away from people and he just doesn't drop the ball. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, you know, when you look at the Clemson receivers and, and really that, that's the thing with Dabo more often than not, the guys that he's re- recruiting, these are guys that, you know, when they transition to the NFL, at least at the skill position, you know, we can, we can make the argument with, with some of the other positions, maybe not, not as much, but at, with the skill position guys, they're able to transition pretty easily um, to, to the next level. And I, I think with Cornell Powell, for me, you know, the draft Twitter community fell in love with this guy at, at his pro day. Cause he just came out chiseled looking like a smaller, uh, um, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, the uh, Seattle receiver Metcalf? Metcalf DK Metcalf thank you um, you know he, he just looked like a smaller DK Metcalf when he when he came out there and uh, you know the, the, the physicality on, on the outside um, I, I think he has a little bit of that but he'll be one of those guys probably end up being the fourth or fifth receiver on a team at least starting out before you know he really starts developing um, so it's one of those things to where I don't think we can expect too much out of him starting out. I think with Amari Rogers, the difference there is he has some different skill set. You know, it's rare to have a receiver built like him. I mean, essentially five nine two ten. I think he's built about the same as James Robinson, the running back there. So really, you could see a, an Antonio Gibson like transition to the running back position. And I think because of his suddenness that he brings you know, to that return game as well, I think that's, that could potentially bode well for Amari Rodgers down the road more so than, than Cornell Powell just because you know, I think it'll take him a little bit of time to catch on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think Amari Rodgers, guys, he's going to be ready to go. I mean, Dabo always talks about him and did the same thing at the pro day. He's just a pro. He goes about his business. Um, he, he's, he's mastered his craft, and I think you're right. He, he, you can put him anywhere, slot, running back. I don't think it's going to matter, um, and he, he's going uh, to be tough to bring down. Last guy to talk about, I mean, and it's crazy when we look at this draft, you know, last, last year, you know, had guys on, on defense all the way across, you know, and so we look this year, it's really all on offense, mostly the skill position guys. We have one offensive lineman and that's Jackson Carmen, uh, six, four, three, 17. Uh, what was crazy at, at the pro day, he didn't work out, uh, you know, and I, I think it was due to injury. And so I think he's actually going to have a second pro day here where he will get a chance to work out, I think in, in a week or two, but the craziness is, is the arm length, you know, 30, you know, under 33 inches with the arms. So from a tackle perspective, you know, those are really short arms, but this dude had a nearly seven inch or seven foot wingspan. You're talking about 82 inches. This guy's just wide to me. I look at him, you know, he, you know, he, he did struggle with some speed, but he's a real physical dude there at the point of attack. I see him being a, an early to mid day three guard uh, at the next level. What do you think? I completely agree. I don't think he's a guy you can draft and put at left tackle right away because like you said, he, he was an absolute mauler, um, you know, in the run game, but you, you, you went up against those DNs at NC state and he had a really hard time with speed and getting low and kind of matching that, um, in a lot of those games. So I think you're right. I mean, maybe you're right tackle, but he's probably going to end up at guard. 
And he's just another another one of those guys, you know, like Mitch Hyatt, you know, five-star guy, Jackson Carmen, five-star, number two offensive tackle out of high school out of Ohio State's backyard. And I don't know if it was uh, his, the length of his arms or what, but it seemed like he just had a hard time, you know, taking it to that next level. And I don't know if that's a function of the development of the offensive line at Clemson or whether um, he, he just didn't have it, but he's a guy, I think you're exactly right. I mean, he's 6'5", you know, 320 pounds, that he, he would be a great guard, but um, you're right. I don't, I don't see him playing left tackle in the NFL. Could he, do you think he could make that transition to a right tackle? I, I think that's, that's really the big thing for him with his, uh, with, ultimately with his draft stock is if he's going to be a day two guy, he's going to have to be able to show that he can play both tackle and guard and that versatility. Hey, I can, he can be a swing tackle. We can also plug him in to either of the guard positions. But, you know, I fear because of that lack of arm length, yes, he, he has that, that wingspan, but I just I worry about guys being able to set a soft edge on him um, and be able to, to shoot into the backfield because they're getting into his body and he's not able to really fend them off because of those shorter arms, long limb defensive linemen. We're seeing that for days. We're seeing guys that are getting bigger and stronger uh, and more explosive coming off the edge. I think about a guy like Quiddy Pay, uh, uh, you know, the rookie coming out of uh, out of Michigan in the draft. This is a guy who's very physical with his hands, likes to get into you, likes to get into your body. And if you've got 32 inch arms, I, I just I worry about Carmen there on on the outside. But he can be that road grader. Um, in the running game, is there any chance for him at, at tackle on the right side, or you really think he's going to really be just a guard? In which case, to me, I, I think that kind of brings him into probably like that fifth, sixth round as kind of being more of his, uh, you know, the top end for him. Yeah, I mean, I think you draft him as a right tackle project, knowing that if he doesn't work out there, you can easily transition him to guard. I mean, he, he's, he's big, he's strong, he can run over people, but I think you're right. He gets beaten space more times than he doesn't. Um, you know, he was protecting the blind spot for Trevor Lawrence, kept him healthy mostly for, for three years. But I think you're right that he's really going to be exposed at the NFL level to those longer defensive ends and those quicker defensive ends. So I think you take him as a right tackle project, knowing that if it doesn't work out, you can, you can put him on the inside. But I mean, it, it's funny to me because I mean, he was going up against guys at Clemson, you know, like Cleveland Furl, uh, Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, all of those guys. So, I mean, he's seen, you know, the best that the NFL potentially has to offer. So, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed by the situation, but I think you're right. He's just going to be hamstrung by his short arms and his inability to, to dominate in space. So I think he's either a right tackle project or you move him on the inside, which obviously is going to hurt his draft grade. So we've covered, covered 2021 20, draft. And I, I think really the, the next step for, for Clemson, when we look at things, it is really the future is bright for that program. I, I think we look at DJ Uwe Angalale, um, and we got, got a glimpse of him after, you know, the, the great high school career there at St. John Bosco, uh, a guy who I think is a physical freak, you know, big physical, uh, throws, you know, with, with velocity. The guy can move as well. Uh, big guy, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 240, 250 pounds. Then, then the receiving core, you know, we, we've already talked about the receivers, but Justin Ross, first-round potential there for him. Uh, EJ Williams, uh, Joseph Ngata, uh, Frank Ladson. 
those are, you know, outside of EJ Williams, the other two, uh, you know, with Ladson and, and Ngata, guys that really didn't get a chance to showcase too much uh, to this point. So it's one of those things like Cornell Powell being able to step out and, you know, take their moment to shine. Um, and then obviously you bring in Braden Galloway, the, the tight end. You've got your weapon up the seam for sure for, for DJ. Um, do you really see Justin? Is it going to be Justin Ross and kind of everybody else with that receiving core? You know, you talked about Cornell Powell really being DJ's guy in that game. Um, do you see DJ being a guy that's going to spread the ball around and spread the love around to a lot of these guys? Or are we really going to see one breakout receiver and just kind of everybody else? I'm actually really excited about the receiving core. Um, you know, assuming all goes well with Justin Ross, I know he has another appointment coming up with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, neck doctor up there. And if he gets clear, I know he's been doing uh, one on air in, in spring practice and he looks just as good as ever. But I think before his, his neck injury, or not in, really an injury, but him finding the congenial defect in his neck, that he had the potential to probably be the best to ever come through there. I mean, he was DeAndre Hopkins with 4-4 speed. I mean, he had those one-handed catches against Notre Dame in the semifinal, against Alabama in the final. And I think he's just about as good of a receiver as, as Dabo's ever had there. But I think you look at guys at Ladson and Nagata, and those two guys, you know, five-star guys, one from California, one from, from Florida, that can also come in and dominate. And you have E.J. Williams from the same high school as Justin Ross, who, you know, he's a little smaller, but he, he's just as quick. And I think he's going to come in and really be a force. And then you have the two Collins freshmen, one from St. John Bosco, who played with D.J. in high school, um, Bo Collins and then Dakari Collins out of Atlanta, Georgia, who have an opportunity to come in and play. And, you know, Dabo's philosophy is no secret. He's going to put the best receivers on the field. And I think of those six guys, I mean, you're going to find three that are just going to be able to dominate. And I think it actually, the receiving core is going to take a step forward um, next year with Justin Ross, Ladson, Ngata, and EJ Williams and one of those two freshmen. And I think DJ Williams, or uh, DJ Uyagole is really going to have an opportunity to spread the ball um, to all four, probably leaning on Justin Ross more than the others. But I think they're just going to be able to dominate um, a lot of Clemson's opponents um, next year. Is, is this the deepest, th this 2021 receiving core, is this the deepest that you've seen? See, I want to be careful because there's a very dangerous picture that you could post that would just destroy me. But there's a picture back, I think, in uh, 2012 where you had, you know, Martavis Bryant, DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Adam Humphreys on the sideline. You know, I think it's a little early to anoint them the, the next, but I think the potential is certainly there. We just haven't seen enough of Ladson and Nagata. I mean, they were both, they, they've both shown flashes, but they've both just been injured their entire time. And I think this is going to be kind of their, their contract year, their money year, their junior year, where they're going to be draft eligible. And I think they're going to take a step forward. And I think they, the potential is certainly there to be one of the best uh, receiving cores Clemson ever, has ever had. It'll just be interesting to see how, how many of them can stay on the field and stay healthy. Yeah, that's going to be key. Um, looking at the running game, uh, you know, you knew what you had with, with Travis Etienne. He was so, so reliable there. Uh, now that he's gone, running game, I mean, and especially you're returning four starters on your offensive line. So I, I think, you know, you've got some continuity there. Uh, nobody really in terms of, of game changers there up front. And you're replacing a left tackle. Um, running game, you know, I, I think that's really, you know, it seems like the biggest question mark for for Clemson coming into into 2021, even more so than any anything on defense. I think that's really your true true question mark, right? I completely agree. I mean, Lynn, Lynn J. Dixon, it's his job to lose. Uh, we just haven't seen enough from him. I know 
Demarcus Bowman, the five-star kid out of Florida, was supposed to be the next, you know, C.J. Spiller at Clemson. Um, but it sounds like he got homesick and transferred back to Florida, so he's not going to be an option. You have the two freshmen uh, coming in. You have Will Shipley out of North Carolina, who a lot of people are comparing to Christian McCaffrey. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I know he's an early enrollee, whether he can pick up the offense quick enough, but he's probably a guy you need to look out for um, because, you know, Clemson's never been afraid to put freshman running backs on the field. Um, I know uh, Tommy Bowden back in the day uh, promised Jamie Harper the first snap in that Alabama game, and I think he fumbled it as a freshman. So hopefully we don't have the same start to Will Shipley's career. But yeah, running back makes me nervous. I mean, Lynn J. Dixon, haven't seen enough from him, and there's really not a lot behind him in terms of returning talent. So I think one of those two freshmen, either Phil Moff or Will Shipley, is going to have to play a pretty significant role, and hopefully one of them can figure it out. But the nice thing about Clemson's system and the receivers and the quarterback is there's going to be room for a running back to, to operate in that system. You know, you have four wide receivers on the field spreading it out. Um, you know, it could just be a function of them just running straight up the field through open gaps. So, so hopefully that'll be the case. And Dabble's done a really good job of recruiting the offensive line recently, which he hasn't been able to do in the past. So hopefully, you know, with four guys coming back, um, they'll be deeper this year at offensive line, which Clemson really hasn't had uh, in the past. I mean, they've never had an offensive line like Bama or even Oklahoma. So it's, it's, it's amazing that they can even compete. So um, hopefully one of these freshman running backs can really show out this year. What Brent Venables has coming back, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, when you think about it, you look up front, you got K.J. Henry, uh, you know, coming back, but, you know, and Justin Maskell, but the guys that you really have to talk about are these, these, these freshmen, uh, you know, with Miles Murphy and then Brian Brissy. I mean, you know, Brissy against Ohio State, you know, this was a guy who seemed like he was always in Justin Fields' face. Had had a, a sack and a couple of tackles for loss in that game, five tackles. Um, and then you you turn and there's Miles Murphy with one and a half tackles for loss as well, racking these things up. So up front, I, I think you're 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 obviously solid. Um, you know, Xavier is it Xavier Thomas, is he gonna be back? You know, I'm not sure. He was, that was he was supposed to be the the next guy there for you guys and he's kind of the guy that he's the forgotten man now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. We've already seen, you know, Niles Pinckney transfer. We've seen Jordan Williams transfer. Um, you know, he's one of those guys. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him also move out of there just because how's he going to get on the field when you've got Henry and Maskell and, and Murphy playing in front of him? That, that line is, is scary stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Xavier Thomas is back on the team, but in terms of him getting on the field, I think you're right. There's going to be issues. It sounds like Venables has really been working with him and showing some of his tape from freshman year. Cause you know, another five-star speed guy came in and just dominated. He had the, the game winning sack against Syracuse when Trevor Lawrence went down and Chase Bryce had to come in and win that game in route to a national championship. Um, so I think he will be back, whether he's the same player he was, I know he had some COVID issues this year and other injuries and off the field stuff that he has to get through. But I think he's another guy that, you know, coming off the bench is just, you know, another five-star freak. But the defensive tackles with Brzee and Tyler Davis, I mean, that's about as good as it gets. You know, it reminds you of Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. And it seems like the recipe in college football is having, a, you know, a dominant defensive line. It makes a huge difference, makes it easier on the back seven, more turnovers, all of that. And I think this is, has the potential to be one of Clemson's best lines, you know, you know, the likes of that line that back in uh, 2019 that all got, you know, three of the four went in the first round. I think it's going to be similar to that. And uh, I, I, I mean, I'm excited about the defensive line, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, when, when you, you're talking about just a few years later, after having Furl 
and, and Wilkins and Lawrence, and then Austin Bryant was no slouch there on, on the other side. Um, you know, and you're talking about, uh, you know, Murphy and Brissett, Davis, Henry, you know, you could just keep going on and on with, with the depth there at, at the position. And then you look at the linebackers and, you know, Bale Inspector and James Skalski going to be back uh, for one more go at, at things. Um, you know, they're the veterans, but you got a guy like, like Trenton Simpson. I think he's going to be your next, your, your next freak. Uh, if you will, you know, you had Isaiah Simmons, uh, playing linebacker for you. I think, you know, Mike Jones kind of saw the, the handwriting on the wall that he, his playing time was going to be limited. And ultimately you get, um, you know, Trenton Simpson in there. And then, you know, you've got, uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. That, that you kind of jump, you know, throw in there and kind of sprinkle things a little bit. Um, so I, I think your linebackers, it, it feels set there. You look at your safeties, um, you know, Landon Zanders and, and, and Joseph Charleston, and then the, the cornerback position, you know, we'll talk about Darion Kendrick in a minute, but, you know, Sheridan Jones, you've got, um, you know, Mario Goodrich is another solid corner. So I feel the back, you know, the back seven there for Clemson uh, just continues to get better. I think you saw some, you know, some uh, inexperience there at times out of that group, but having Skalski, I think that's going to be your key uh, again, you know, is having that lead, that veteran leadership. Um, if you can rush four, and get home that's going to make the back seven look that much better as well when you have that that pass rush um so talk a little bit about about that back seven real quick um just in terms of of what you expect out of uh you know some of the veterans and then some of those young guys yeah i mean the starters look great but what makes me nervous at linebacker is you know a guy like skowski there's just not a lot behind him and i know jeremiah trotter might be able to come in he's probably not big enough to play the mic but, I mean, behind Skowski is, is Jake Venables, who, you know, Brent Venables' son, who, you know, he was exposed in some of those playoff games because Skowski's sure. been affected twice now. And so, you know, the starters are great. And you also have Andrew Booth on the outside, too, who's just an absolute freak. He had two one-handed interceptions last year. And I think he's going to be one of the, the better corners that, that Clemson's had. But, you know, I get nervous at safety, too. I mean, Clemson's always had solid safeties, but, you know, they've been, beat, they've been exposed. They've been beat. They don't have the speed for whatever reason that, you know, other safeties on other teams have. So I think they're, the, the front four is, will be able to minimize a lot of the potential exposure there. Uh, but I think there are ways to beat Clemson. And I think it's in a lot of those vertical routes with those safeties because Nolan Turner's great. He had that pick against Ohio State, but, you know, he's just not quick enough to keep up with the Olaves of the world um, out there. So there's they're, they're certainly concern there. Um, but, you know, Trenton Simpson, I think you're exactly right. He, you know, he's just going to be an absolute monster. He came on there at the end, and we're, we're, we're really excited about him. Uh, but I think the key this year is going to be the front four. You know, if the front four can get pressure, I think Clemson's defense is going to be in great shape, and that's where Brent Venables can start to get really aggressive. But if, the, if he starts having to bring pressure, I think there's going to be some, some issues on the back end there. So lastly, Darion Kendrick. And I think when we look at Kendrick, you know, 6'1", 190 pounds out there at corner, a guy who I think was a French first rounder, uh, a guy that I think probably would have been my fifth or sixth corner. Um, you know, I think when you had to look at guys like Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, you know, this is a pretty deep uh, corner draft uh you know draft class you know you've got greg New uh, newsome there at, at at northwestern you know elijah molden and asante samuel in, in the slot and that's not even talking about patrick sertan and and jc horn and and caleb farley um so 
I, I could see why he wanted to come back to Clemson. And I think, you know, he had a chance to be that first corner taken off the board, but then the arrest, you know, first he gets kicked off the team. Then he has the arrest with the gun charge. And now it looks like he's potentially looking to transfer. I don't know that, that a team within the, the FBS, he may have to go FCS or possibly even division two. If he doesn't go supplemental draft, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things to me. I think he needs to kind of rebuild that uh, rebuild his character a little bit before he actually makes that jump to the NFL, because teams may not want to take a flyer on a guy who gets kicked off the team and ends up getting arrested with a gun charge. But I think the talent is absolutely there. This is a guy who can end up being a lockdown corner. If his mind is right. Yeah. He's, he's as good of an athlete as Clemson has. He came in as a five-star receiver and just in spring practice, you know, they were down at corner. And he ended up switching sides and just started dominating in practice. And then he made, he made the switch. Um, but he has, you know, great ball skills. He's fast. Um, he understands the defense. He could just never figure it out off the field. I mean, even before he got kicked off, there were games where he would, he wouldn't start, he wouldn't play. He wouldn't get, he uh, would sit down. He wouldn't travel. So there was a lot uh, percolating under the surface that Dabo kind of kept under wraps. So it just seemed like he could never really figure it out off the field. But if he were able to do so, I think you're right. He, he could be a lockdown corner. I mean, he's a Mackenzie Alexander type where he can just, you know, follow a receiver all over the field and just lock him down. So it's unfortunate that he hasn't figured it out off the field yet. But, I mean, he's as, as athletic as, as it gets. But you're right. He has to clean up his image, um, probably go to the FCS level um, for a year, and then hopefully the light goes on and he figures it out. I mean, he has a great opportunity to be great, um, and it would be unfortunate to see him not be able to, to live that out. So 2021 draft, obviously the future is bright for, for Clemson, you know, here in, in 2021 and beyond, uh, you know, especially with, with DJ at the helm, a lot of those skill position receivers uh, and, and running backs alike in the tight end. And then defensively up front, you know, if you can rush the quarterback with just that front four, that's really going to help the back end of that defense. Um, but the 2021 draft, we know that we're going to have Trevor Lawrence. We're going to be talking about him. Where's Travis Etienne going to go either day one or uh, at the first part of day two. And then we're going to have a couple of receivers that we're going to see sprinkled in there somewhere around, you know, the, the beginning to the mid day three, what's going to happen with Jackson Carmen. So I, I think there's going to be a lot for, for you as a Clemson fan, you're going to get to see five guys right there, come off the board uh, at some point in all three days of the draft, you're really going to be keeping an eye on that board. I think it's going to be exciting to see, what what uh, what the future holds for Clemson coming up here at the end of April? Any closing remarks? Anything else that you wanted to touch on draft wise, whether it's Clemson or anything else? Anything else that you have your eye on? You know, something you mentioned the name J.C. Horn. I'll never admit this publicly, but that that guy down at South Carolina. I mean, we saw enough of him at Clemson. He's as as good as it gets. So I think that people are kind of underestimating him. I think he's going to be uh, very very good in the NFL. I don't know where you have him on your board. I, but I think he's going to absolutely have an opportunity to come in and dominate right away too. So JC Horn. Yeah. If you turn on that Auburn game, he, he went against Seth Williams, big receiver, big physical guy, six, three, I think 210, 215 pounds and physical presence and a guy that would win those 50, 50 balls. And he just sat in that guy's hip pocket and four pass breakups, two interceptions in that game might've been his best game as a, as a, Gamecock and when you think about it he's had a lot of success there for South Carolina I've got him as my 
I've been going back and forth. He's ultimately my number one corner. Uh, I'm putting him ahead of Patrick Sertan and, and Caleb Farley. I, I think he's somebody who I had him going to to Arizona for a long time um, to take over for Patrick Peterson who moved on to Minnesota. But with Caleb Farley and the, the back issues that he has, that injury, I think that's going to bring him down, his draft stock down just a little bit. And I think that's ultimately where Horn's going to be able to move up. I, I think Sertan's probably going to be the guy, all the hypes around him. He'll probably end up being the first corner taken. I'm looking at the Eagles at 12. And they, they've got Darius Slay at, at one cornerback position. But you look at the other side, Avante Maddox, he's probably better suited moving inside. Philly, if you get that that secondary short up on that back end, um, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, he's a guy that could potentially go ten to Dallas. Um, you know, especially if Sertan, uh, the Broncos could still use another corner, so he could come off the board there as well. Uh, I've seen some mock drafts that have talked about, uh, you know, the Falcons at four possibly taking Sertan. I could never see that happening. He's not the fourth best player in the draft. I actually think Kyle Pitts is going to, to Atlanta. I, I think, you know, you get him, Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. He shouldn't be at least. He's a guy who's still playing at a high level. You get a guy like Kyle Pitts in there. You see what Travis Kelsey has meant to, to Patrick Mahomes. Get Kyle Pitts out there. Imagine having Kyle Pitts and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley in that same uh, receiving core. They just then have to go out and get a running back to match up with that. And that's where I think Javante Williams is going to come into play for the Falcons on day two. So, um, you know, a lot of excitement there, I think, at that cornerback position. And I'm with you. I think J.C. Horn uh, could be a special guy. Gets a little grabby, wants to be a little bit more aggressive than, than he needs to be. But definitely a guy, you know, it, he plays well both in off coverage and in man in uh, as a press man corner, which I think separates him from uh, Patrick Sertan. I think Sertan gives up a lot of yards in off coverage, and that's something that you don't see out of J.C. Horn. So I I'm like you. I'm excited to see where, where he's going to go off the board. Top 10 potential probably in the, in the first half of, of round number one would be my guess. I agree. And before I get you off your favorite road college uh, stadium, outside the Coliseum that I've been to, or just overall that you've been to, uh, man, it, it's, it's tough to go away from, from Folsom field. Um, they're in Colorado and Boulder, um, you know, the atmosphere, especially if it's a cold day and you got the snow going and then Ralphie, I, I think that's one of the iconic mascots. When you let R uh, Ralphie loose, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. So I, I've been to the Rose bowl, um, I've enjoyed the, the pageantry there with it, but you know, I, I think with it being a bowl, you, you're not sitting right there in the action. You're kind of sitting away from the action, the further that you go up into the stands. Um, I, I, I have a lot of fun at, at OU at, at, uh, you know, Gaylord family Memorial stadium. That's another place that can be a lot of fun. You know, that's another stadium that does go straight up. So you're right there in the action. Um, I've seen a lot of really good games there. Um, there with OU getting to see Baker Mayfield and, uh, and Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts play in the stadium. So they've done a lot of re renovations there. So that's another stadium that I've, I've really enjoyed. But if I had to pick one, uh, just because, you know, of the, the, the atmosphere there, uh, you know, with being by the, the Rocky Mountains and, and all of that and, and uh, with, with Ralphie, I think that's probably, you know, the, the favorite for me. What about you? I, I got to turn the tables a little bit. What about you? 
Yeah, I, I've had opportunities to see games in Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn. But, you know, the one that really got me was actually Kyle Field at AM. I was there for the, the Clemson game uh, three years ago, Trevor Lawrence's freshman year, where he really won the job. And, you know, to talk about a passionate fan base. You have 111,000 just breathing down your neck. Um, I, I swear the stadium was shaking under me. Um, I haven't heard, you know, outside of um, Clemson, where they actually tried to set the record over Oregon in terms of decibels, I had never heard a stadium that loud in my entire life. Um, so I would have to go with Kyle Field, certainly. That's a place uh, that is worth checking out, certainly. Well, Brian, it's been fun talking uh, Clemson football with you. I'm sure that we could we could probably set aside uh, you know, another few hours and, and talk all things draft. Uh, but we'll go ahead and, and call it a podcast for now. Uh, but thank you for coming on. Hopefully we can catch up again, maybe after the draft. Um, and as we get into the 2021 season as well and, and talk more Clemson football. Absolutely. Always looking forward to talking. We actually have the spring game today, so looking forward to it. All right, Brian. Well, I, I appreciate it. Take care, man. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. My thanks once again to Brian Shaw for sitting down and talking all things Clemson football. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the listen as well. We're going to transition to episode 29, which is up next. And we'll be talking about the edge rusher position. Now, when we talk edge rusher, we know that Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Phillips, and Aziz Ojolari are going to be the names that we'll hear coming off the board likely on day one. Uh, but how deep is this group? And how close to that, that first wave of edge rushers will that second group of, of Ronnie Perkins, Joseph Osai, uh, Carlos Boogie Basham, uh, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, uh, Peyton Turner. Uh, when will they hear their names called? And then we've got to talk Jason Owe, one of the best athletes of the draft, a physical freak, but he did not register a single sack in 2020. How big of a concern is that going to be? Is that going to hinder uh, his chances of being a first round pick? Should he be a day two pick? We'll talk about all of that and more. So, until next time, everyone, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week. And until next time, I am out of here.